There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. This is the road <laughs> to infinity. And there came a day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, they became the Avengers. The Invincible Armored Iron Man. Thor, Prince of Thunder. The Hulk, strongest hero there is. And Captain America, the first Avenger. Hi, welcome to the Road to Infinity podcast. Uh, this is your host, Kyle. I've got uh, two friends with me today to discuss uh, the amazing Avengers. Uh, we have Sarah. Hello. Broadcasting all the way from Scotland. Yay, Glasgow. And we have Brooke. Hey. Who we remember from our uh, Incredible Hulk episode. Uh, and we will not have to discuss Edward Norton at all in this one. Oh, thank God. I mean, Edward Norton, <laughs> I love you, but it was not your gig. <laughs> right, because he has stepped down and we have a brand new Hulk. Uh, so the, the theme was from the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon uh, that came out uh, sort of before the Avengers movie actually was. They they Knowing that what was coming, they had sort of beat him to the punch a little bit. And then I still say it's probably the one, one of the best, if not the best, animated thing that Marvel has ever done. Uh, unfortunately, when Disney took them over, uh, it was killed because it wasn't an official Disney production. And Disney put their own animated series into production, which was, frankly, not as good. But that's all part of the transition here, because Disney has now taken full control of Marvel Studios at this time in our in our timeline. It, originally, it was they had uh, purchased the rights; they had purchased Marvel, but all the existing deals were in effect. And then by the by this point, they kind of went, "No, no, we want everything now." And so they they bought everything, the distribution rights back from Paramount. So when you watch the movie, the Paramount logo is still in front of it, and Paramount got a small piece of it, but it was in behind the scenes, it was really all Disney. So this is sort of like the from here on out, it's it's Disney is running the show. So uh, let's, let's see where we want to start. Oh, let's talk about the comic books a little bit. So the Avengers obviously were were first created in the 1960s, and they they brought Captain America back, um, you know, from creatively being ignored, <laughs> uh, back into the continuity to to have him a part of it too. So a lot of that that idea comes from uh, directly from the comic books that, that Stanley wrote and Jack Kirby drew, uh, but most of the rest of it actually came from the Ultimates. Now, we talked about this uh, a little earlier on uh, because uh, Marvel had created a, a separate universe from their existing, what, what uh, nerds like me call the 616, the existing comic book universe called the Ultimate Universe. And that was where Ultimate Iron Man, Ultimate X-Men uh, came from. And so when they decided to have their own version of the Avengers, that was called the Ultimates. And it was the same kind of idea. And, and a lot of the ideas from that are directly into this movie. However, the Ultimates was very, very cynical. <laughs> uh, it was not the hope and and like an inspiration stuff. Everyone in in the Ultimates was kind of a dick or or flat out evil. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, Captain America was a full-on right-wing, you know, just short of being fascist. Uh, let's see, the Hulk was an id monster who uh, it was it was heavily implied, if not uh, flat out um, said, that he basically ate his enemies. Uh, Thor was a uh, they couldn't they couldn't tell if he was just a industrialist who had delusions of grandeur or was actually a god, but he would had no regard for uh, anyone else uh, when it came into battle. He would just be shooting ships out of the sh- sky, had not caring at all where they landed. Uh, it was, Mark Miller uh, <laughs> is a very fa- big comic book guy, but when he was writing superheroes, he always went for the spectacle and not for the heart. So he would always go for what would be the biggest shock, the biggest bang, the biggest, most exciting thing. He was also the, the person behind Civil War, which we'll talk about that when, when that episode comes around. But um, so... His all of his stuff for the Ultimates was, and he also he's also uh, Scottish too, so he might actually be in your neck of the woods there, Sarah. Um, oh. Yeah, we have kind of an amazing tradition of comic books here in Scotland. Yes, that's, that's very strong. Um, he is very irreverent when it comes to it, but uh, now he's sort of left uh, the other people's characters, and he's only doing his own stuff. Um, but at the time, this was a big deal. Uh, so a lot of comes from there. And the other piece that comes from comic books is Brian Michael Bendis was taking those. So the Avengers, uh, as any comic book would after being written for 70-some years, it has its ups and downs and had some uh, interesting lineups over the course of time, characters you'd never heard of. There was the whole Dr. Druid era, <laughs> where... Pretty much the entire roster of Avengers were people you'd go, I, I don't know who that is. So for this, they, they went all the way back to to the, the big core important characters that everyone actually knows. But by the time we got into the, the mid-2000s or so, Avengers had lapsed and people were – it was just not very exciting, not very interesting. Not, not people were reading it. So they gave it to Brian Michael Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis is a major, major force in the comic book. He is – in the terms of uh, Einstein, he is a gravitational force unto himself. Wherever he goes – Space bends around him. So him taking on the Avengers was a big, big deal. And the first thing he did was destroy the Avengers. It was called Avengers Disassembled, and he, he broke the team, killed a bunch of people, and, and you know, sort of shook up the order. Uh, and then when it came back, it was he had a new Avengers, and it was Captain America figuring out sort of as he went who should be on the team. And that's where we get people like Luke Cage and Spider-Man joining the Avengers and Wolverine joining the Avengers for the first time. And that's also, this is also where Maria Hill comes from. Maria Hill is a, because Nick Fury was off the board at this point, she became the voice and the face of shield. And then we see her actually show up here in the Avengers. So it's Joss Whedon, writer, director of, of Avengers, sort of looked at all those things and, and sort of picked his favorite parts of it from the original Stan Lee stuff, from Mike Bendis, from Brian Michael Bendis' stuff, from Mark Miller's stuff, and sort of created his own and really got the best of all the world. And he took the best ideas from all of those to to create his movie. Uh, because it's it's something really special when you get to see a writer, director really get to do their own thing in a big franchise thing like this. We, we've seen independent films like, oh, oh, done that kind of thing, but a giant tentpole, multi-million dollar, many people involved thing to actually have the fingerprints of the director on is, is pretty rare. And having the, the writer director that way is also is, is that way. And I, even as I was watching it again, some of the fun stuff that he does, besides we'll get into, we'll get soon into our, all the, the great lines and stuff you do. We can have a, a whole quote-a-thon about it. But, his transitions, like there's even <laughs> knowing that he's going to be the one, you know, directing it. As he's writing it, he'd say stuff like uh, Captain America when Nick Fury's trying to recruit him uh, is walking out carrying the the bag over his shoulder, uh, and Nick says, 
uh, can you tell us anything about you know, the Tesseract? And he says, you should have left to the ocean. Cut to the ocean where Iron Man is underwater. <laughs> that, that whole sequence, every time someone says something, it cuts to something that relates to the thing that they just talked about. It's so good. And it's so much fun that you, know, like, that you don't usually get to see that in like a big budget thing like this. But, you know, having the, the one guy being the voice of the entire movie, you know, like it's shepherding it all the way through. You really get to see him, his feelings on that. That's something you noticed too, Sarah. Yeah, definitely. Is I, I had thought for a second that they were cutting into a flashback where Iron Man was removing the, t- or not. Yeah. A flashback t- for Iron Man, removing the Tesseract from the ocean, but instead he was severing the cables to make Stark tower uh, in energy independence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wish I had written down all of them too. But every yeah, every single for that whole sequence when they're seeing sort of where everyone is, every when someone says something to end a scene, it always it directly relates to the next one. It's it's really super fun. It's so subtle, but it's one of those Joss Whedon touches that I just really appreciate how much thought went into it. Yeah, yeah, you can tell that he really said it's it's rare that you get to see. Uh, someone like it, it's almost like he was born to make this movie. I I would agree with that. He uh, he himself is not the biggest fan of this movie. Like he he says that there's a lot of stuff that he would change that he would do differently and stuff. But like I think this is probably his best movie. I I might think it's one of the best things he's done so far. I'm a I'm a big Joss Whedon fan of his work. I should say. Yes, yes, of his work. Of his work um, from back in the days when he was just a, a, a screenwriter and he helped write Speed, he helped write Toy Story, like all these little, and you can see little touches of, of his stuff along the way through Buffy, the entire Buffy verse, Firefly, Dollhouse. I, I've watched everything that he's done, even stuff that he's written that other people have, have done, which uh, don't always end up turn out that well. Um, <laughs> Uh, up to this, and then, and then even from here and beyond. But uh, yeah, I think this is this is like the the ultimate synthesis, sort of, of his fandom and his talent at the same time. Because you, you can tell he loves these characters, but at the same time is is willing to uh, bang them around a little bit. Mm-hmm. With a lot of the times, a lot of these people, you feel like they're they're being very precious with the characters, but he is he is absolutely fine with making people look, you know. A bad or or knock them down or or kill them. He's kind of famous for killing them. Exactly right. Or <laughs> <laughs> killing them with 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 the the fall of Agent Coulson. I mean that was a that was a, a huge blow. And I remember in the movie theater the audible gasp. Yeah. <laughs> when when Coulson gets stabbed and then dies, like it, it's not even just like oh he's in danger. Oh my god, he's actually dead. Yeah, as if there were any doubt, you were watching a Joss Whedon film. Like that cements it that a major character dies. And you are heartbroken. Yes, uh, yeah, and and just the and just the the regular guy. I mean, he'd just been the the standard government agent through all these things, and we had sort of grown to love him. And then all of a sudden, it, it was one of those things where we had never realized that how vulnerable he was. You know, standing amongst the gods and <laughs> monsters. <laughs> Suddenly, our the audience surrogate, the the ordinary guy, buys it. And it's weird because even Nick Fury seems larger than life and more on physical par with the Avengers as opposed to just being the normal everyday man. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the trench coat. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or the eye patch. But yeah, but he, you're right. He does seem like he he fits in that world. He he never seems intimidated by anyone. True. Yeah. Which is one of the the best things about getting Samuel L. Jackson to do the the job is that, you know, you get that impression with him too. Like he doesn't get intimidated. He doesn't and like he's, you know, he's talking to a, you know, Loki, a thousand year old, 5,000, I don't know what the timeline is, but you know, a thousand year old God, essentially bulletproof magic powers, all these things. And he's, you know, having a casual conversation with them. 
<laughs> to a man who's just materialized and transformed half his staff into zombies. <laughs> and, you know, he planted, maybe that's the whole, an ant has no quarrel with a boot. Another yeah. great line. You planning to step on us? <laughs> it's funny because when you talk about Whedon writing and directing this, it's like, I have to wonder what is it kind of, what's it like to take characters that are already created, like full on mm-hmm. created and make their voices stronger. And at this point we've seen Iron Man twice. Captain mm-hmm. America, we've seen everybody. Yes. And we saw, um, we only saw Hawkeye for a second. So, right. Yeah. yeah, just that one that one small scene in right. Thor. And, yeah. and they didn't do Black Widow any favors in Iron Man 2 <laughs> at no. all. But it's, it's like, how do you, you know, you take voices that are already have their own sound, and he somehow still made all of those characters better. It's, I, I thought, yeah. but I think, like, that's a true talent, is to take already established characters that in movies that were good and mm-hmm. still make them funnier and smarter and more incisive and where you feel more. I think that's one of the strengths of having a TV writer come in mm. to a franchise because TV writers are used to coming in, especially if they're not the showrunner, coming in, writing in somebody else's voice and contributing to making it better. They're not characters that they had created on their own. They're not characters that they even had any say in their backstory and being able to jump in and continue telling a story is its own talent that you get to develop as a TV writer. I agree. That's a, that's an excellent point. I had not thought of that, but you're absolutely and right. And they're also keenly aware of the fact that once they're done with the movie, they know that they could be fully done or maybe they'll write again. So they can't make such drastic changes that somebody else can't pick up the mantle and keep Exactly. Yeah, and that that actually is a very comic book thing because I mean that's what it is on when you're on a comic book you're on for a couple issues and then you're gone and then anything anyone you introduce any ideas you put in could be written or written by the next person. Mm-hmm. We've never really seen that in movies before because you know movies are, are so work for hire that they you know, they bring in ten guys and they just keep having them rewrite something and they fire them they bring in somebody else and they fire them and so by the time you get to the end you have no idea who wrote what. But in this, when you have the, the the person who's the architect of it, like they're keeping with it, and they know this came before, and this is this something else will be coming after, that they're just uh, you know carrying the characters from here to there, and then somebody else will pick it from that point. So that it's that Marvel team mentality. Job requirement must be able to play well with others. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I know it's it's interesting. Well, I guess we'll, we'll talk more in the uh, the Age of Ultron, but I, I get the impression that he got the Favreau treatment when it came to the, a sequel, where he expected that things would run just like they did on the Avengers, and then oh, oh no, no, Marvel was had a lot more to say, and then so and thus you know he's moved on to the other side of the track. I used to make jokes a lot that like back around would have been around this time in this part or this because we were at the end of the first part of the of the current because there was three stages to the mcu are we at yes this is the end of this is the end of phase one i used to make jokes all the time that if i had my make-a-wish like i wanted to go to kevin feige's office and because he was rumored that he had it all plotted out yes and when I stop and think about it, it's like must be able to play well with others and must be able to interpret Kevin Feige's vision. Yeah. Yes. 
So. Yeah, because I mean, he's 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 seen stuff far down the line, especially when they by when they got to this point and they knew that Disney was behind him and stuff. Where they, it it came being more like, hey, can we like this is what we're going to do, and they are actually allowed to really expand enough to say like, okay, so if we got to make movies up until twenty twenty, this is what it would look like, and and obviously that 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 plan has been, has adjusted a bit as as reality will come in. And, you know, and humans was on the the map for a while, and then that dropped off, and Ant Man. Uh, was in a different place because uh, they did a different creative team involved in it, and that's so that got pushed back. So you know things had to be adjusted. But even so, you're right, having this whole grand plan and being able to be allowed to dream that far out. I mean, <laughs> we've seen some of the other studios having trouble coming up with the first movie, much less the tenth. Yeah. I mean, but we're not looking at you, DCU, at all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, DCU's done it better than, say, Universal with their monster universe. They couldn't even get off to stage... Would they have three movies in the works? Uh, yeah, they had three movies in the works. Now, now I'm not sure if any of them are actually happening. And then it even had... Uh, this the well that's a whole side thing we can yeah. we can talk about too but yeah they it, it's it's what we what we're learning is it's it's extraordinarily difficult to do what Marvel is doing and that Marvel makes it look so easy and yet no one else has been able to figure, to re-engineer this to to do it for themselves and this is the thing stop trying to re-engineer it and go make your own thing right and even even uh when people always ask Kevin Feige about this too, they they say, well, "How is it you're doing?" He's like, "Well, the first step is make a great movie." <laughs> it, I that's so funny. It's like stop trying to make something that somebody else is doing and go make your own thing. The only time it work that works is in cooking. You want consistency in cooking. <laughs> in movie making, yeah. I want challenge me. Yes, challenge yourself and challenge me. Yeah, and I think I think this this movie is is the beginning of them doing exactly that, where they're there, Marvel has has still has lessons to learn, uh, and letting creators be creatives is is still something they're struggling with. They let Joss be Joss essentially on this, and and it worked extremely well. They are not quite that trusting with other people so far, but we're going to see as we get further into Phase Two and stuff too. Where when you bring in people like James Gunn, you have to let them do what mm-hmm. they do because you can get amazing things out of it. Now that's not just like we're just going to sit back and write you a check. But there is a, a certain amount of freedom you need to give these kind of people to do something strange. Uh, and and this, this isn't necessarily strange. It's just impossible <laughs> when, when the, to sit down and go, all right, all these people, all these different franchises, and you can have these guys and you can't have these guys. Like you can have Thor, but you can't have Jane Foster. You can have uh, – and originally, I guess, uh, they were not even going to have Pepper Potts was not going to be involved at all. Like they wanted, like they, it was Joss wanted all the Avengers to be isolated, to be on their own. So when they came together, it was a bigger thing, but Robert Downey is, you know, as the caretaker of the character went, no, we're in a different, like Iron Man's in a different place right now. And he needs to be that he doesn't need to, he's been isolated before. Like now he's in a, a relationship with this person. It's a very, very important part of him. And then he has something to fight for. So, and then they made that change for the better. Cause I think even in her couple scenes, I think, uh, with Paltrow is fantastic in, in this. Uh, she's so casual, which we don't see her being in movies very often. <laughs> I, we don't see her being that in real life either. Yeah. So I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess I guess her like walking around in like in, in jean shorts and, and thing like is is very much a performance <laughs> from what we've seen in her life. <laughs> I was reading um, the trivia on IMDb, and they said that uh, she was kind of very noticeably barefoot 
But what you didn't see was that Robert Downey Jr. was wearing platform shoes. Of course! He didn't appear <laughs> taller than he was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's <laughs> You could do a whole thing on actual actors and stuff, uh, what they're real Yeah, now are. I'm going to look in other shows, too. Like, what's, what are they wearing? What is she wearing? Is she in heels? What's their, what's their relative height? Now I'm going to just never not see that. <laughs> yeah, they, they, apparently they had to... They had to shoot it in a different aspect ratio than like the like well, 178 instead of 235 because uh, the heights were so different that to do that that big pan around shot uh, mm. <laughs> it was like the heights were so vastly different that you had to go from like you know the Hulk being seven feet tall or something down to Scarlett Johansson who's like five foot something. Mm-hmm. That they had to like make sure like the cinematographer had to be really really good in order to make it not look like you could just like a like a, a waveform going up <laughs> and down. I didn't. Even, I never thought about that. Yeah. And one of the characters doesn't even exist. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. And, and not even there at all. And then probably it was probably uh, if Robert Downey Jr. was there, it was probably him in a in a gray unitard. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the, the by this point, there's there's not a lot of suit that they have on anymore. Like he usually will have maybe something on the shoulders or something too, and maybe gloves. But the rest of it, he, he's uh, he's just walking around himself. Yeah, uh, you in the unitard, yeah, and and I, I believe the same thing with um, Mark Ruffalo, which we we should talk about. Mark Ruffalo being the one of the new faces that we see, um, that he actually you know was on set performing the Hulk, which is the, something they had never done before. It had always been just special effect kind of stuff, but he actually was in sort of like a bigger suit to give an idea and and to see sort of how he would perform. Uh, besides later on doing the performance capture, like he was actually on set with a big thing. But yeah, so he joins the cast, you know, taking over for Edward Norton as as uh, Bruce Banner, but still the same character, like the and with the same history. Sorry, Edward Norton. <laughs> so when the movie starts out, it's and I I'll be very honest, it's like I told you, I told Kyle, I haven't watched it in like the last month or so, but I have watched it. <gasps> For shame. If yeah. it's on, it's on. Like if it's on FX, it's yeah, on. Right. Um. Right. But I've seen it like twenty times. Mm-hmm. So oh, I yes. think everybody has seen it a lot of times because. Oh yes. It's on right so, now. I just have it on mute. <laughs> I, I'm sure I could put it on like something. I mean, it's got to be streaming somewhere, and I'm not complaining about that. So, um, I'm sorry. Just so the tesseract is what's in play, and Loki comes and steals the tesseract, and mm-hmm. he steals it because uh, Doctor Eric, what's Eric's last name? Selvig is experimenting with it. And basically, Loki comes and steals it, correct? And in the meantime, kidnaps uh, Hawkeye. And Selvig. Yes. Okay. And, and Selvig. And Selvig, okay. yeah. And then that's when everything starts moving into play. Yes, exactly. So the, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's the, the magical MacGuffin thing. So if, in terms of what we know now that we didn't know then is that they're using an Infinity Stone to get Infinity Stone. So we have Thanos has entrusted Loki to say go get me that thing. Like, basically, I want the Tesseract. It's on Earth. Go get it. Take this army with you. And gave him um, another Infinity Stone with which to get it. So he gave him the Mind Stone, which is what's in the staff. Uh, this is all, like, meta stuff that we don't learn for, for movies now, but, you know, as, as we're all super fans, we can talk about this now. Um, so he comes to Earth to get the, the Tesseract and then and, and play out his plan. So, the, you know, the, the idea is get the Tesseract, open up the portal, enemies come flooding in, uh, and then he can basically take over the Earth. That's that's Loki's part of it. He wants to rule, so he wants the planet to rule. I still don't know what Thanos' plan was. <laughs> it seems like if you just send him to get it, 
he could just come back. But Loki doesn't seem to have any interest in actually going home. So there, <laughs> there's almost seems like he's just not planning on giving back either of but those. No, I, which is a very, it's a very Loki thing. My to do. impression is that it was like the deal is that Loki got the Earth. So yes. it's like. But I don't know why he didn't. Once he opened the portal and the guys all poured in, is it, is it the idea is that then when Loki has conquered the Earth, then he'd be like, all right, boss, here you go. Here are your two. Yeah, that seven. sounds reasonable to me. Yeah, and Loki's That's always cool. going to pull the fast one. That's the whole point of Loki. Oh, of course. So, um, yeah, that, I think that was another that was another master stroke, I think, of this in that you could have gone right to Thanos. You could have had it be that the Avengers there, the portal opens, and it's Thanos. And it's good. But then you have to take the time and who is this guy? Who is the big purple guy? What's his deal? Why is he here? And it just becomes another alien invader, which we've seen countless times. It, like, mm-hmm. take, let's say, Justice League movie, <laughs> for instance. Just some guy comes to town, and like we're supposed to be intimidated by him, a big CGI guy. Well, the better move in this is you take the villain from a previous movie who is beloved because he's so good at being good, bad, you don't know where, where he is, and he becomes the one. And then it's it's that one of our own not not quite one of our own but a someone with a personal connection to one of the the avengers one of the main characters comes in and is doing all this thing the one of the the best scenes in the movie uh, in a movie that has many many great scenes is thor and loki on top of the mountain the there's i think one of my favorite written scenes is that scene right beforehand where they have captured loki and they're in there and the it's iron man and, and captain america sort of meeting for the first time and talking about it and, and iron man making jokes about captain america being old and stuff too uh and then the the lightning hits the flashes and loki sort of freaks out and they're like what's what's the problem and he says i'm not like you're afraid of the lightning i'm not overly fond of what follows mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like oh of course thunder because it's his brother and so the brother shows up goes there and Jumps out. We need a plan of attack. I have a plan. Attack. <laughs> and then uh, you can't go down there. You need, you're, 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 these are gods. There's only one <laughs> god, ma'am. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> I love it. Because that's, that's a perfect Captain America kind of line. This is where Joss excels, like you were talking about before. Just finding what the character would do in that situation. Not just going for the laugh, but like how would Captain America do that? Because it's he's still very, very, very formal. There's only one god, ma'am. Like he's being very formal with with uh, Black Widow, uh, but so then jumps out afterwards. And so they land on the thing, and then Thor still loves Loki, yeah. even after all of this. And it's so, he's so sincere. He's just this big, this big, oh, he's still, a, Loki, we never really know. He's like, is does he have any affection for Thor? Does he have any affection for his father or his, his, his adopted mother? You never really know where he's, where he is. But like Thor is like straight ahead, like, come home. Mm-hmm. Like, come, we can, we can be brothers again. Like, even we know, that we'll find that Loki has betrayed him countless times, but he still loves his brother and he still wants him to come home. Well, okay. So there's a couple of things here is that first off, Loki 100% loves his family. Loki is also very betrayed by his family and namely by Odin and Freya because he did not know that he wasn't the natural born child. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of the betrayal and he's always like in the beginning of Thor, which I wasn't on Thor and I'm so sorry because (laughs) <laughs> I should have been there. In the beginning of Thor, the relationship between Thor and Loki was far more collegial. There was still some, you know, some antagonism, but it was far more collegial. It's like once he realized who he really was by birth, that's when mm-hmm. it that's when it went to shit. So, I'm going to stop for just a second. 
the big picture or the big class picture of the MCU came out. Yes. And yeah, at the time of this recording, they, they just put out the, uh, the class photo of 10 years. I think so there's, there's 79, uh, actors, directors, writers, right. Well, not so many writers, but all, uh, taking that picture. If you haven't seen it, uh, you can, you can search for it online. It's pretty impressive. It's, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite things. And everybody has been nerding out about it and parsing out about it. Kyle and I have gone back and forth about it. <laughs> So um, I'm a little obsessed with it. And one of my Mm -hmm. big obsessions, and Kyle can back me up on this, is because of Tom Hiddleston not being in the picture. Yeah. He had a decent reason, not a good reason. It's Hamlet. Come on, dude. uh, Yeah, Brooke and I were, like, doing a lot of uh, investigative work on this, like, trying to figure out who wasn't there and why weren't they there. Like, uh, uh, Coulson, Clark Gregg, was not there because he was actually at a convention with all the rest of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, it was basically, I'm sure it was a contractual thing. Like, all the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. were at this convention together. It was part of one of the things they were doing. Right. But, yeah, so when I looked into to uh, Hilston when we figured out like none of the almost none of the villains are there at all there are no villains except for Kurt Russell and I don't yeah. I don't put Loki as a true villain well you know he did just in this movie he's trying to invade the earth and table and he killed what 80 people in two days uh-huh. isn't uh... he's adopted he's, ad- he's, <laughs> he's adopted, adopted right? Right. he's adopted <laughs> but also one of the big issues is that is thematic through these movies going forward is the fact of the mm-hmm. cost of life and how that really yes. scares the people of this world so there's that. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I want to talk about is that that scene on the mountain when Thor and Loki finally have the conversation. Yes, yes. I love Tom Hiddleston, and Tom Hiddleston is one of the preeminent actors of, I think, I guess, our generation. Mm-hmm. I love Chris Hemsworth. We all know he excels mm-hmm. in comedy. This was not a comedic scene. I, I would I would agree. I mean, I think you're you're right. He's he's great at what he does, but he probably has the least credits of anybody in this movie. He is a, a, a sort of a fresh face, and it's interesting to watch all these things to watch how much he grows because of all of them like he really rises to the level of the other actors oh 100 percent when we get to Thor ragnarok he can hold his own with anybody i cannot wait to see what he does in infinity war because he is toe-to-toe just with how how much of a how much of an understanding he has of his character at this point exactly that but i think it also is by by directors like you know he's learned by osmosis he's he's getting really better by the people he's exposed funny and i think this i think joss um, gave him moments where we actually can see that for the first time. I mean, like he's he's very in Thor, uh, the Thor movie. He's very just straight ahead, and, and that's by nature. I mean, by the nature of the character and stuff too. It's just there's a there's a nail. I'm gonna hit it with my hammer. Like he's just straight ahead. But in this, Joss actually gives him some funny stuff to do. Just j- throws him a couple lines. He's not cracking jokes like Tony does, but he has his moments. Like Sarah just brought up the he killed eighty people in in, in two days. He's adopted. Right. Like there's a, it's just a, it's a flat line, but he, his timing is great. And also, you know, probably do the editing, but his delivery on it was perfect. And later on, we'll talk about, I want to, I want to dig into probably my favorite scene of the movie, which is when they're all fighting with each other too. He, in the, in the lab, because there's so much, there's so much great character stuff going on there and so much great learning mm-hmm. that he has that just kind of, you're all, uh, you're all so petty. And tiny. <laughs> it's a, it's just a, this kind of thing, but it's like he gets a big laugh out of these these couple lines that he says, and then you know obviously there's there's like the sight gags too, like you know when he gets sucker punched and things too. But yeah, I think it, it's he's he's learning that you can also have that gear as well. You don't just have to be the the strong you know god figure in the room, right? And I mean the whole thing is to me is that he's left Asgard where he's kind of got equal standing with his 
band of men. What is it? The the Warriors Three. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're all like I mean because everybody there is physically on some sort of par. Here mm-hmm. he is clearly a god amongst men, and he's got to figure out how to be a god amongst men and still work within a, the concept of a team. Yeah. I'm reminded of Q on Star Trek saying mm. working in groups is really difficult when you're omnipotent. <laughs> <laughs> That was basically my mantra in high school. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's because that's that's also the uh, the the challenge of putting together a movie like this is how do you have a problem that Thor can't just solve? He is incredibly powerful. Like he's incredibly strong, effectively immortal. You know, except maybe if you put him in a big glass cage and drop him from thirty thousand feet. Um, uh, you know, he's got the power of lightning. All these things. Like, how do you do it? That is, he can't just blast everything and be done with it. And I think that's one of the strengths of that final fight thing too. I know we're jumping around in the timeline, but um, is that it, it becomes about finding a person. Captain America is really good at the deploying the forces aspect, where they instant like when they're together, it's sort of like, okay, Cap, what do we do? And so like it's like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Finding a, a thing for everybody to to do to the best of their ability. That's one of the things I love about him. He doesn't just bring his own strength and and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. He's the organizer. Yeah, yeah. That that scene uh, really shows that off too. And it's it's interesting how we saw him just recently. You know, like the previous last movie was uh, Captain America: The First Avenger, and we got to see him working with Howard Stark and the two of them working pretty well together. And you know, sort of buddy buddy. And when he meets Tony, they instantly don't like each other. Instantly. <laughs> Like there's already antagonism from that that scene in the ship that I, that I had mentioned before. They're instantly rubbing each other the wrong way, and, and of course Tony's not you know not trying to be nice at all because he's Tony. But it's it, you already see some of that stuff too, which will it will come to blows later on. But you can already see the, the it's not just like oh I found my best friend. Like we're instantly like now we're all together. It's or like I don't like any of these people. I don't want to be around any of them, but I guess I have to. It's that coworkers thing at the first before they become sort of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of a theme throughout all of the Marvel movies. And and a lot of Joss's work too. You find your family. Tony was inherently jealous of Captain Captain America or he flat out yeah. said it in Civil yeah. War. Dad never shut up about you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, even this one, he says something like, yeah, my, the, this is the guy my dad never shut up about. I, I think it's really interesting that the the way that it kind of starts out is that nobody likes anybody else from the beginning. And kind of, I would say more than anyone else, Tony Stark is just hostile to everybody. But mm-hmm. with Hulk, he does this thing where he does his like keep everybody emotionally at a distance. But hey, I still like, I'm a fan of like how you like, Hulk out and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. And they actually developed this really good working relationship because they're both scientists and working on the same thing. And And Banner backs him up when Cap is saying like, hey, you, you shouldn't be snooping in, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. files and such. But honestly, my favorite relationship in this movie is the one between Hulk and Hulk and Iron Man because Iron Man's really mentoring him. Ooh, yeah. he, he's taking him under his wing and he's just from the beginning, he's like, hey, that thing you do is actually pretty cool. And Hulk is in banners filled with so much like self-hatred mm-hmm. that he doesn't even want to acknowledge the green guy. He calls him, you know, the big guy. Like he doesn't acknowledge that that's a part of him. Yeah. The other guy, even when he, he calls him, he says Hulk for the first time, he winces. Yeah. So I, I was watching Avengers on a bus trip. And then right after that, I watched Frozen and I 
I realized that, um, who is it? It's Elsa that's the ice lady. Yes. Elsa yes. kind of goes through a similar character arc as Bruce Banner does in rejecting these powers that she has and having a lot of self-loathing and keeping everybody at a distance and thinking that she's a danger if she does get close. And then she um, ends up obviously like accepting who she is and then goes and like creates all these relationships with uh, other people. And um, it's just really kind of interesting that I watched those two right after each other. And I, I went back to some tweets that, um, that I wrote when I was watching Frozen Ooh. about how much better it would have been if Iron Man had been introduced. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know in, uh, in the, uh, just as a side note, uh, the, how I should, how it should have ended. They did a one for Frozen and the end of that is uh, when they, they, well, actually in the middle, they, they show them having like, Oh, this is girl, this powers and we don't know what to do. So it's our child will lock her up. And then professor X shows up and says, actually, I have a better place for her. Yeah. <laughs> so they show her joining the X-Men. It was like, Oh yeah, that actually, that would have been really helpful. So this was tweeted on the 13th of April, 2014. Watching Frozen, Tony Stark should have a talk with Elsa about embracing her power instead of running from it like he did with Bruce Banner. And then the next tweet. Now I'm imagining Iron Man flying around when Elsa learns to let it go. Could be beautifully balletic or just really wet. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, conceal, don't feel. I mean, that's that's exactly it. But you're right. Like when uh, from the moment he shows up, they do it. The internet refers to them, by the way, as science, science bros. bros. Yeah, you can go look up science bros, and you'll see this. They, they take the, the the big famous the meme that became was when the two of them are riding in Tony's car at the end. So it's like, get in, loser. We're going to do science. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that show hard. I would, I would absolutely watch that show. And eventually, they'll, of course, down the line, there'll be one of the Easter eggs pays homage to that that sort of uh, that meme. Um, but not in this movie. Uh, but yeah, the, like Tony is very is very actually respectful of him. And like, oh, somebody did the homework. Like he actually respects his intelligence, and he comes to him not as like the guy who is also a monster, but like you're a fellow scientist who understands what's going on. I can speak to you on a different level, and I can't with the rest of these. Which guys. has to be so liberating. Yeah. You don't have to, like you could just talk. There's a scene where they start having a conversation. Oh, that makes total sense. And Steve's, oh, that that's what you said. Mm -hmm. We all have it. You start talking about it with someone that you know in a language, and you have another friend who doesn't even know what the hell you're talking about about anything. I, why do you think I started this podcast? I know. <laughs> It's exactly this to, to to talk about this stuff and nerd out and talk about Infinity Stones for like an hour and I have people go, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> My coworker does that to me all the time. Like she'll look at me, she's like, "All I literally just heard was wah 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 Hulk, wah 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 Infinity <laughs> Infinity Stone." Wah 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 Black Panther, my god, already. So yeah, it's one of my favorite is I just almost the other like last night or the night before Gen 3 of Pokemon Go came out and I mm. spent a few hours with some of the local Pokemon players at like nine o'clock and it was like freezing cold outside because it's Glasgow in winter and and then we're done hunting and we're still chatting for like 45 minutes about Pokemon and then I was like oh are you guys excited to see the Black Panther movie and they're like oh yeah yeah and uh, I went into my my uh hulk and iron man and frozen story and one of the guys is like you think way too much about those things and i'm like but dude we've just spent the last three hours playing pokemon 
Oh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, getting back to the thing, the, the, I think, like I said, my one of probably my favorite scene is all of them in the, the lab arguing. And that leads right in, like, right from Bruce and Tony's relationship because you can tell they're sort of united in that, in, in that scene. You, you, the alliance, you can see the alliances or like yeah. who's on whose side and stuff too. And I think a lot of that is Loki's already on board at this point and the mind gem is in there. And I think he's using it to bring up all these issues. Like it's, I think there's, they're all there, but I think it's exacerbating it. I think it's, you know, it's because it, the camera angles sort of get a little twisty where you kind of feel like, okay, there actually is an influence. Like with that Thor line, that shot from below, on him you're also pity and tiny and it's sort of at a little bit of a dutch angle where so like you're getting the idea like okay there's something going here and like uh bruce banner's rubbing his head a lot like you can you can get an influence but i think that all of it existed all that frustration all that hostility existed the mistrust and this is just sort of bringing it all up everyone in that scene is just amazing mm-hmm. um I, I can't believe we have not talked about the fact that how natasha kind of like we've kind of skipped over something the only main female in the cast is Scarlett Johansson as the Black Widow. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when, like, she's got a great intro introduction. Oh my God, you're right. You're absolutely right. I love, love, love that scene. Because, you know, it's, you know, she's being, she's been captured and I put quotes around it <laughs> and they're, you know, by, I guess, Russians. Is it Chechnya or Russia? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Somewhere in the Eastern Bloc, yes. former Eastern Bloc. And I don't mean to be insensitive, but yes, somewhere that looks very Soviet. Mm-hmm. And she's being interrogated and she's being kind of tortured. Mm-hmm. And just as they're getting ready to like take a pair of pliers to her teeth, mm-hmm. cell phone rings and they're like, it's for you. It's <laughs> Natasha. Oh, wait, no, no, no. It's Coulson. It's Coulson. Yeah. And he says to the general, you're located at this, this and this. Yeah. I can have missiles there. Put the girl on the phone. Mm-hmm. I'm working. <laughs> like, he's, right. when she goes he's giving me everything and they're like what <laughs> yeah i'm in the middle of an interrogation and i love the fact that she looks at him like you know what you did yeah. <laughs> and i love how they kind of reprise that with her interrogation of loki oh, yeah. where she gives him the illusion you know like pulling one over on like the master of illusions is amazing yeah Good job, Natasha Romanoff. But she makes she makes him think that he has the upper hand and that he's emotionally manipulating her. And he just spills, you know, the secret. And she's also smart enough to interpret like that one word, mm-hmm. you know, you brought the monster. And um I, I just loved that kind of like here's this introduction to her skill and then here's her using it again. Oh shit. That was very well executed. Right. Because while Tony knows science and Banner knows science, Natasha knows people. Yes. Yes. You know, it's like she can read a room. She can read. That's her job. The other thing that they, that we didn't wrote into that spot is all of a sudden her stakes got raised because it alluded to the fact that she's so close to, you know, Barton. Mm -hmm. That's what emotionally ties her to the game. So I, you know, you need to go get him. He's been compromised, and yeah, it's like you stop and think about it. It's like your best work friend has just been taken over by a madman. Yeah, you're gonna like, you're gonna stop and take yeah. care of your shit. Yeah, I also want to give a shout out in that in that first interrogation scene to Heidi Moneymaker. She is Scarlett Johansson's stunt double. Uh, she did all the impressive. She helped choreograph that entire fight scene. 
uh, and she is amazing. Like, <laughs> if you just want to see a, a woman to just be in awe of, just follow her on Instagram or look her up. She has done, like, pretty much if there's an amazing female fight scene in the last 10 years, she's probably been involved in it. Um, and that was one of the things where they, they came to her as a challenge. Like, they're like, okay, so we're doing this interrogation. You'll be tied to, you, you'll, you'll be, uh, tied to a chair and you have to beat all these guys and you know while you're tied to a chair it's like and for a stunt person they're like great i know (laughs) Uh, i know fight choreographers and it's like i have to that's the kind of thing i should actually ask them about do you watch something like that and stop and think about like how long did it take you to script that out how long did it take to block it and then to rehearse it and then Mm -hmm. and then you think about how that's going on while other things are going on when you stop and think about how a movie gets made, that's such a tiny part, but it's such an important part because you can't fake that kind of stuff. Yeah. Fight scenes like that, you can't you can't CGI that. It either happens or it doesn't. And I have to wonder yeah, if, yeah. if Heidi Moneymaker is one of the very few people that are stunt people that people know mm-hmm. her name. Yeah, yeah, and she she still is Scarlet. She she basically she and Scarlet are joined at the hip. She does all of Scarlet stunts in all of her movies at this point. Right. She's like her girl. And she's like Zoe Bell and uh, and uh, from Xena. Uh, and the other thing is as well, Scarlet talks about her in interviews. Mm-hmm. Hashtag sisterhood. Hashtag lift each other up. So, um, but then it's like it cuts to the scene of her going to. Uh, it's in India, and she's the one bringing Banner in. Mm-hmm. That scene with Banner is so. I, I've described Mark Ruffalo plays him as kind of this bumbling guy, and mm-hmm. that kind of I feel like that kind of starts there. And mm-hmm. I love the exchange between the two of them because you kind of start to get the hints of who they could possibly be to each other. Because even mm-hmm. though I don't, even though it's like it's not a romance, it's like mm-hmm. it's okay to have people like kind of get interested in each other it's not a bad thing mm-hmm. so right yeah and 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 is it like she has all these sort of of all the men that are around her because like you're saying she's like the lone female we have maria hill but she's always off on her own um but as the lone female in this group that she's clint who's her who's her guy like she's her her work husband or whatever it is like they're they're coming near her ace companion um the all of all of them the one that she's most interested in is the one that she is the most terrified of because that is one of the things that i love about scarlet's performance in this whole thing is you can see she is unflappable like she's talking to loki and he's throwing all stuff and she is instantly just shuts off like the oh okay fine and like she's being interrogated by a bunch of guys that are about to pull out her teeth she's totally fine when it looks like the Hulk is about to show up, she is legitimately terrified. Yeah. And every time they get close to that, you can see in her eyes, that is what she is really afraid of. And yet, she's attracted to the guy who's the other guy, which is just a fascinating sort of mess of things. And she plays it so well. She's terrified of him, but she doesn't let that make her freeze in the moment. When Banner is starting to kind of threaten her and and slams his hand down on the table and startles her. She doesn't freeze. She gets her gun out and it might not do anything. It, you know, it's not going to really protect her if he decides that she's a threat to him, but she still got her instincts. She still protects herself and she stares him down. She doesn't run. She stands her ground. Very true. And then we'll see sort of that, that relationship evolve as we get to the next one and, and and how, her relationship with the Hulk changes, to, and, and her relationship to Bruce changes. Yeah, but yeah, it all it all starts here because there's like there's I I think a, a a thousand things have been launched from this too. Just all the different ideas and little pieces that went on to become other whole other things, other scenes, other movies, just by 
the sort of the asides and stuff that I put on, like, you know, how many fan fictions have been written about Budapest? <laughs> Budapest. I should know. I wrote one myself. Yay! <laughs> uh, so it's, it's that, it's the same thing. There's, there's so much stuff. There's so much that, that this is packed with in addition to all of the great lines and the, and the special effects. And also there's all this, this interesting character stuff that is alluded to about uh, when Hawkeye, is finally freed, and we'll talk. About, we'll talk about Hawkeye now after, after this. But when Hawkeye is finally freed, and he says, "You know, what it's like when someone goes into your head and totally remakes you." And Scarlet said, "And, and I should say, I'm sorry." Then Black Widow says, "You know, I do." And it's like, oh, <laughs> that <laughs> opens up a whole thing of like, what was her history? What happened to her? Like all, all these things, and, and it's just and it's just like they know, mm-hmm. and they just move on. But we, as the audience, are like, what, what does that mean? You know, it's but it informs all the stuff that's going on. So let's talk about Jeremy Renner. Again, we're he's so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> he so he is. I, I say, and I, I know I, my friend Kim would uh, be upset if I didn't mention this. He is vastly different than what he is in the comic books. This Hawkeye is very, very, very different. Almost an entirely different person, except for the fact that he shoots arrows. This Hawkeye is much closer to the Hawkeye from the Ultimates, uh, who was, like I said, most of the Ultimates, kind of a dick. Uh, and because the the way they they have him in, and the way his performance is is very Jeremy Renner, very he he's funny but never cracks a smile. He's very sardonic. He's very like flat and everything. And and that whole thousand yard stare, like he's seeing everything that's going on, but just choosing what he's reacting to. The Hawkeye from the comic books is very much of a smartass. He's always he and, and very kind of like uh, Oliver Queen. Uh, from the comics, he's very left-wing and very in Captain America's face about everything. He's not letting get away with any of that, any garbage. Like he's always the one to, to shoot off his mouth. He 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 comes from a family of carnies. Like he has, he's a very colorful person and always raising hell when he and he can't. Um, so this one is not that guy at all. And so then, as it as it plays out through the rest of the films, he he gets farther and farther from the the, the sort of lovable loser Clint. Uh, that we know from the comic books. And uh, that's one thing that's it's a little bit hard to reconcile because of all of them, I can see, you know, Captain America is Captain America. He stepped right off the page. Hulk is Hulk. I mean, Thor is, is actually, I think, a better Thor than a lot of times that he was in the comic books. But Hawkeye is, is so vastly different that it's even hard for me to, to have him be the same person. Um, but uh, nothing nothing against Jerry Renner or Joss Whedon or any of the rest of the Marvel guys. It's just, that's the choice they made. But he's a, he's a very interesting choice uh, for this because he's sort of what sixth lead like he, he doesn't have a whole lot of stuff to do for a, a person of Jeremy Renner's name that he can you know I don't know if you can open a movie but he's a name that people know um and that he doesn't have a whole lot of stuff to do in the movie yeah I've always been kind of except for the interrogation scenes with Natasha Romanoff it it kind of frustrated me because they seemed like filler they didn't really kind of have their own thing individually until later on in the franchise. And so when we get more of Clint's backstory later on, um, I really, really, really enjoyed that. I thought it was kind of long overdue and it was enjoyable. It was a really yeah. sweet backstory. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, not at all what you expected. No, what, yeah. do you, what do you think? Of- well, I, I like Jeremy Renner. I like the character. He's the one who takes down, what do they call the the air their air carrier? Oh, yeah, the Chitauri. No, no, no. Uh, the, In the beginning, he, like the thing that they're on, uh, that Samuel L. Jackson. Thank you. Oh, the helicarrier. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. He instrumental in trying to take down a helicarrier. I'm not. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, and yeah. he's the one who gets Loki, and he's the one who 
you know, he he is instrumental, and it's not until um, what is it? So would she say I basically rebooted you, or I like did a hard reset? Yeah, you know, yeah. and she like punches him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> that you know, you start to get yeah. okay. This is who he really is. I love the little vengeance story. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> we get it. You're mad. <laughs> uh, I, I also like there, there's something that, that's sort of implied in the movie that I noticed this time that I hadn't really noticed before. That so Loki's the mind gem, essentially the the staff. All we know it is as the staff at this point. Uh, it it takes it over and basically makes them into a willing servant. So they'll they'll willingly serve and like and even enjoy the process. Like, all right, great. I got I got whatever you want. Whatever you want, boss. But it's not. Mind, it's not telepathy where Loki's not just puppeteering them, and it's also not fully rewriting them because in we see you know it's Clint is obviously a marksman that that's his deal. Like besides the bow and arrow, he can he's he's good at putting bullets wherever he wants them to. Uh, after he gets turned and comes out and he meets Maria, he misses every shot. I think that there is a little bit more control that they have than Loki thinks because later on we see Eric Selvig created a failsafe to mm-hmm. destroy the the portal. He built that in. So I think they're they are inside having a little bit more control than than actually what we led to believe because you know while he's possessed except for some guards, uh you know Hawkeye doesn't really kill any of the the people that he really could. I mean the taking over the the helicarrier, I mean he really could have done a lot more, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he doesn't. You know, he hacks the computer, but he could have, like, killed Nick Fury right then. He could have killed Maria Hill right then, but he doesn't. Agreed. 100%. Right. I don't know if that was intended or implied, but it was Yeah, worked. that's a great observation. Well, plus, if they kill someone, how are you going to forgive them to have them go on and do something else? You know, it's like... If, also true. It's like everybody has qualms about Loki because he has so many, so much destruction. I can't, as a viewer, if I see that, you know... Hawkeye has killed beloved Maria Hill. I'm never going to let that go. Yes. You know, I will never. It's like you can't have one of the six Avengers kill another person and then forgive it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. When he gets, uh, when when she knocks him on the head and then he kind of regains, comes back to himself. <laughs> one of the first things out of his mouth is, Tasha, how many agents did I? And she cuts him off and she says, don't. Don't do that to yourself, Clint. Yeah. This is Loki. Yeah. And so he's he's aware like he knows a little bit she didn't have to fill him in on what happened he knew and that was his first question so obviously it was on his mind while he was still under so well i could talk about avengers all day and i would love to but uh, yeah we but unfortunately you know life does get in the way uh, i have a couple of uh, of trivia notes i wanted to make sure that uh, i mentioned um uh, in the scene on top of the mountain with uh, thor and loki at one point uh Two ravens fly by. Oh, that was a nice little homage to uh, Odin uh, and his two ravens. Uh, we never really see them in the in the context of it, but I thought that was a nice little mythological sort of wink nudge. Uh, Whedon is known for uh, re- bringing in his people. Uh, when when Aaron Sorkin does it, they call them the Mighty Sorkin players. So I just uh, they're basically the Mighty Whedon players. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the cops in New York. Uh, is Enver? I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to try and. Yokaj. Yokaj. Okay. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's from Dollhouse, most notably, and uh, a couple other things showing up. Um, Ashley Johnson plays the uh, the waitress. Uh, waitress who Captain America saves in the bank, and then she at the end is saying like Captain America saved my life. Uh, she's been. Uh, she was in Much Ado About Nothing. She's been in a couple other things. Of his uh, right now, she's on Critical Role, um, uh, and then uh, the other, uh, completely unrecognizable, completely. Alexis Denisov. Yes. 
he uh like he you would have no idea who he was like completely covered all the stuff voice change everything like it's a it's an unrecognizable performance as the other they call it. uh the, the sort and that of, uh, is the guy that's kind of the intermediary between thanos and loki right yes, yes. he's like sort of the head of the the i guess he is a chitari it turns out uh and yeah he's the sort of the, the major domo for thanos so he's the one that loki actually is dealing with on a day-to-day basis the major domo <laughs> I like it. It's like his his secretary in uh for the queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like don't look at her. Look at me. In uh, let's see, in in the UK, so over there, uh, this movie is actually released as Avengers Assemble because the Avengers means a whole yeah. different thing in England. That's right. There's a very very popular television show from the '60s and 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 a very very terrible movie from the '90s uh, <laughs> called The Avengers, and they still have the the neck condition and the rights and stuff too. Spot the Stanley cameo is at the end. Mm-hmm. That's my big thing. Is I like he's in the like eh superheroes you know in new york that's yeah. ridiculous i know <laughs> yeah yeah uh and then uh, and then one one final note and then we'll uh, revel um this is one of my favorite stories about the avengers so they so they they shot the movie they put it together they had their big premiere and they you know they they showed it to the hallways they had the red carpet they walked all the stuff and josh realized you know this is the probably the last time i'm going to be able to get all these guys together in one place so he like conspired with them all and said okay after the premiere after we do all the stuff to you, before you go to the parties, you need to come to the studio. So they do, they go to the studio and he had them get all back in their costumes. And that's when they shot the shawarma scene. Mm. So the people who saw the world premiere didn't see that scene because it hadn't been shot yet. Oh my gosh. He got them all back in their costumes. They shot that scene, just them sitting in the diner, you know, just saying, and with no dialogue, no nothing, just sitting there. Chris Evans is leaning forward and he doesn't lean up because he was wearing a full beard. And they couldn't shave him because he was filming something else. Yes. And they have contracts where they can't yeah. change anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, you never see him like like he's hunched forward with his hand in his, or his head in his hand. And that is why you don't see him move. Hmm. That's right. They had, a, they had to put a big right. plastic piece sort of over his beard. And then, yeah, he can't move and he doesn't want to show it. So he's, he has his hand in front of his face the entire time that, for that whole scene. Uh, which I wish somebody had gotten a picture of that. I want to talk about the fact that I would say that Joss Whedon single-handedly raised shawarma sales in the continental U.S. by, like, probably 500%. <laughs> yeah, we, there's a hundred more things we could talk about with this movie, but unfortunately, you know, we, there's only so much time in life. So so thank you, Sarah, coming all the way from the... You know, all the way from my couch. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Brooke, for uh, joining me again. All the way from my bed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you to Engineer Alice for making this all sound uh, competent and professional. Alice, uh, hey, hey. Made are mine, not hers. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we've had a lot of fun talking about this. Uh, I, this is one of my absolute favorite movies, and I and I cannot. I, any excuse to watch it again is fine with me. Kyle, what's the next, the next movie? movie uh, will be the the third of the Iron Man. It'll be Iron Man three. Oh, so and, and where we get to see with Tony dealing with the ramifications of what he had to go through in in this movie. PTSD. We're gonna call that Iron Man three post-traumatic stress ptsd yeah iron man 3 ptsd thank you everybody uh see you down further on up the road you've been listening to the road to infinity podcast brought to you by legible scrawl find us on facebook twitter or even at our website at www.legiblescrawl.com we'll see you further on up the road